Don't look now, but the stress tests are here. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Friday. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. David, I almost said that it was Monday because it's my first Who day. Who are you? I don't even it's know you It's my first day anymore. back in the office. First day back on the show. Really excited. But first, most importantly, I've got to ask, how are your brackets doing so far? Yeah. Fair. Fair? What about you? I'm doing okay. I saw you're beating me in the company bracket here. Yeah, which isn't too surprising. You're the reigning champion of the whole office. I am. I am, in fact, the reigning champion. However, I didn't get a chance because I was away. I didn't get a chance to do my system this year. I have a system. It's great. Um, I'm feeling good this year. Oklahoma was a bit of a disappointment. I'm a big Mm. fan of the the coach over there, Long Kruger, but we'll bounce back. I got a question for you. I said on the show yesterday, what is the weirdest thing that you ate in Costa Rica? I said he's probably not going to eat anything weird because he's a vegetarian, but did you? Um, I ate a rose apple straight off the tree, which was pretty cool. It's a rose apple. It's it's a... It sounds delicious. Or manzana rosa, I think Mm. is they call it. It's, It's like an apple. It's little. It looks like a crab apple. And it tastes exactly like a rose. I thought you were like, going to say, if, tastes like a crab. If you smell, like yeah, <laughs> that wouldn't be so good. If you smell rose, that's what it tastes like. Wow. It's pretty neat. It's like eating perfume. Cool. All right, getting to the important stuff. Uh, stress tests came out. Federal Reserve released the Dodd-Frank stress tests yesterday. Yes. This is, this is important. But it's, I mean, arguably, it's not the most important one for investors. The C-car that comes out next week. That includes the capital planning that the companies did, which includes requests for dividends, requests for share buybacks. Mm-hmm. But we can look at the results from the Dodd-Frank and, and sort of get a feeling of what we might expect from next week. Bank of America, David. Bank of America looking okay. Okay, yeah. But not great. Not great. What are you expecting going into next week? <sighs> I don't know. I think, I think they probably will ask for a modest dividend increase. I, I don't know if we're going to get the huge 10x that some people, I saw some estimates of it going up to 10 cents a quarter. I don't know if we're going to get that based on these results. So it came at, they're, they're stressed, basis, that's massive. they're stressed tier one common equity in the stress scenario in the adver, what is it? Adver, severely, severely adverse. adverse, what I talked about in the show yesterday. It was just 6%. Mm-hmm. Last year, that was what, 6.8? Yep. So lower than last year. Interestingly, though, Bank of America and all the banks do their own stress tests, and they said that they were going to be at 8.6. Substantially higher. Substantially higher, and that also raises some questions to me is, is the Fed going to look at that and saying, well, how are you guys forecasting here? Why are you getting such different results from us? And that may call into question whether they are going to be able to ask for a dividend. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, we, we will have to see, but... It's not a surefire thing anymore, I don't think. I think that's, that's an interesting point, the difference between Bank of America's own projections and the Fed's projections. And I should point out that this isn't just a Bank of America thing. But first, um, Bank of America did project lower PPNR, that's pre-provision net revenue, so revenue before taking out loan loss provisions, lower than what the Fed projected, but also much lower loan loss provisions and slightly lower trading losses. So it led to a substantially lower overall loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't... I didn't think that I saw that there were specific estimates on risk-weighted assets, but there were some differences in some cases with the banks on the risk-weighted asset uh, calculations by the bank and by the the Fed, Mm -hmm. so it could have been a difference there as well. Uh, The difference between the two, I I think, like you're saying, 
could have led Bank of America to be overly optimistic in its capital planning process. And hopefully, I, you know, it's, it's a black eye for any of these banks. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Because if you go in and you say, we want a higher dividend, and the Fed says, no, we don't think so. It doesn't have to be a black eye because you just go back and you lower it, but it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an issue here, I, I think, that the banks are so far off. Cities, uh, city groups, it's the same way. Uh, they were higher than Bank of America in their minimums, uh, but they were also much higher than the Fed. Zions, which we'll talk about in a moment, the only bank to fail the stress test, also had projections that were different than the Fed's, and that led to the surprise. The Citigroup number kind of surprised me, because I remember last year, they projected a capital uh, ratio lower than what the Fed had. So last year, they're were, they were being super, super conservative, and now they're kind of joining the crowd and saying the Fed's being mm-hmm. too conservative here. So... There seems to be know. a disconnect here, and, 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 and I think that the, the Fed and the banks need to get on the same page with this because on the one hand, it's good that the Fed's coming out and, and sort of saying, well, we think you, your, your uh, capital ratios aren't as strong as you think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, it's better if they have an ongoing understanding of, of where the Fed thinks they need to be. Right. Okay, so the second point we've got here, and I mentioned this briefly, Zions Bancorp, the only bank to, to fail the stress test because it's um, uh, tier one common, fell below 5% in the severely... Ed- Their first year doing the stress test. The first year, yeah, stress first, test. Doing, first year doing the stress test. I also thought that M&T Bancorp, that their, um, their results looked lower than I would have expected because uh, this is it's a quality bank. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the case of Zions... Uh, I, I think this was, like I said, it was similar to Bank of America and Citigroup. They just projected, they projected uh, a higher PPNR, yep. high, uh, lower loan losses, and a lower risk-weighted assets than the Fed did. And you add that, you put that all together, and that's going to give you a bad result. Yeah. And I think uh, Zion started with less room for less wiggle room mm-hmm. than either Bank of America and Citigroup. So you got the failure there. Also in Zion's press release, it said, Zion's also notes that its original submission to the Federal Reserve occurred prior to the sale of certain collateralized debt obligation securities, CDOs, in January and February 2014, which uh, sales also resulted in a substantial reduction of risk. So they're already off- offloading some of those uh, higher CDOs yeah. making a comeback. Exactly. Well, not, not, not at Zions. <laughs> True. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we haven't heard about CDOs in a while. They're right. kind of popping up again. Again, yeah. not in a very good light for Zions. M and T. Meanwhile, thoughts on that? Why? Why would such a strong bank end up with? I mean, I'm not, not sure. A, I haven't. I haven't dug into the M and T results too too much. But again, this is their first year doing this, mm-hmm. and a lot of this is kind of just getting a good understanding of what the Fed is looking for, right. hiring the right people internally for compliance, for finance, for accounting purposes. So this is their first go-around with this. Maybe they have to come back to the table and resubmit a plan. That may happen. But going forward, I wouldn't read too much into it, but it is a surprise because this has been seen for so long as a quality bank, and the results have shown that. So it is a surprise. Unlike Zions, Citigroup, and Bank of America, which we were just talking about, Z- uh, M&T did not have any press release related mm. to the Dodd-Frank results. Also, they, their starting point, their Tier 1 common, before taking into account any of the severely uh, stressed scenario, is just lower than everybody else's. So you put on that severely stressed scenario, mm-hmm. and the result, I guess, would be lower too. Indeed. Uh, finally, on the upside, were there any surprises to you uh, of banks that stood out as having higher capital ratios under the severely stressed scenario than you would have expected? Uh, Wells Fargo looked 
strong. I guess that's is not that a, really surprise? a surprise. I, I had that down here, and I said it was little surprise, the highest among. Well, the it's a surprise uh, in the fact that Bank of America went down year over year. Citigroup went down. Mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan was essentially the same as the prior year, I believe. Meanwhile, Wells Fargo had a big jump. Do you have the numbers written down? I don't. It was I, I, I think it was it was eight point two percent a minimum tier one common yeah. under the severely stress, stressed this year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's somewhat of a surprise considering the, the peers of the big four also didn't blow it out of the water here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Discover, it was their first year uh, doing the stress test. Their ratios looked looked very strong. And 13.1% minimum tier yep. one common. Uh, and I think we talked about Discover when Patrick Morris was on the show last week. This is a bank that has produced very strong returns. Looks expensive on paper, but when you look at the returns mm-hmm. it generates, look at the capital now. I think it continues to look like a pretty attractive bank. So you've got uh, what's interesting about Discover is they've actually already uh, issued a press release to investors saying what they've requested mm. in the CCAR. And that request is a 20% dividend hike from $0.20 cents a share to $0.24 cents a share and a $1.6 billion share buyback. So Discover feeling pretty pretty confident yes. after the Dodd-Frank Feeling results. Saucy. Yeah, and uh, just finally on, on Wells Fargo, following up on that, part of the difference with Wells Fargo versus the other banks, trading losses and counterparty losses were, were a fairly big component. They, they were actually a very big component of overall losses in these stress tests. Uh, that, was, that was actually the largest component. Number two was credit cards, uh, credit card losses. For Wells Fargo, that trading and counterparty loss component was much, much, much smaller than J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Bank of America. Um, I, I, I kind of wonder, as Wells Fargo looks towards building out its investment banking arm, whether that could change in the future. Very interesting. Something to keep an eye on. Okay, in focus for today, what did Matt miss? Everything. I've been gone for I've been gone for about a week and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did I miss? What, what do I need to be caught up on? The world is a much different place. It's a much different place. I think you're the reason why. I mean, when you left, <laughs> things It all started. Changed. It just all started. It was unreal. a snowball. Um, or was it better? The world just got much better. Maybe. Sun maybe. was shining. Could be better. Um, People were listening to the podcast. One, one of the topics that, that you and I have talked about f- for a long time now, people may even be sick of hearing about it. Uh, there was some, I guess, a price action, if we want to talk about talk traders now, some price action with, with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac while you were gone. Some significant price yes. action. Yes. Uh, we got more details from the Johnson Crapo bill, mm-hmm. Senate bill there. Uh, it was very interesting the way it went down. I don't know if you've read too much into it. They released details of the bill at around 10 a.m. I think it was last Wednesday. And the stocks didn't really do much. And then around 1.30, they fell 40%. Uh, so it really wasn't a, this hits the news wire, everybody jumps. It was completely surprising news. And nothing in the bill details was a surprise. I mean, we've talked about all these details, and I don't know why the stocks went down. And that was the, the point. That was the interesting point is we didn't know why they went down. Maybe it was one of the mm-hmm. big investors selling. And when you have a stock that trades over the counter, it's not super liquid. Right. When there's a lot of selling, this stuff can happen. So it was a very interesting scenario. So it sounds to me like you're saying with the additional details on this bill, it doesn't substantially change any of no, the math. Not it's, at all. it's really just a question of a little bit more detail out. Why does the stock suddenly tank? Yes, okay. uh, and I don't really know. And I think we've said it before: the court cases continue to look like the best option for shareholders, rather than everything being reprivatized and put back in the good graces of shareholders. And if you're Bill Ackman, who's relatively recently taken big positions in the common shares, not to mm-hmm. prefer the common shares of Fannie and Freddie. You feeling, feeling a little uh, downtrodden right now? 
concerned? I don't think so. No? Like you said, it's the same It's the same thesis as it was before. Nothing changed. None of the details were new. But it was just very interesting to see a stock fall 40% mm-hmm. on nothing that was new because it's such a unique scenario. Yellen's first, Janet Yellen's first press conference. Yes. As the chairman, chairwoman of the Federal Reserve. I think she requested to be called the chair. The chair. Yeah. Okay. Just the chair. Just, just the chair. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Uh, as first press conference as the chair of the Federal Reserve, what did you think? Uh, the markets didn't like it. I mean, I mean, that, I didn't cover it on the was, show. Can you believe that? I didn't I, talk I can't, about the I Fed. I can't believe that. You're such a big fan of the Fed. Uh, I guess you said the market didn't like it. The banks liked it. The banks did like it. Uh, so the brouhaha, we haven't covered it on the show Ooh. here. They, had, they issued a statement that said uh, we're going to raise short-term rates at a reasonable time or sometime after tapering, the, the tapering program stops or the QE program stops. And then in the press conference, she actually said, well, maybe six months. So she did what most Fed officials don't do, and she was very specific about something. And everyone flipped out, and short-term rates jumped, uh, and that didn't delight investors, I would say, other than the banks. So the question would be, why do the banks Right, exactly. Like I, mean, I mean, that's the next question. Why, why would the banks be up on that? And that's something that I, I wanted to talk about is for so long, a couple years ago, everyone is saying, Low rates, that's awesome for the banks. They can borrow so cheaply. It's great for them. Now everyone's saying, low rates, that's terrible for the banks. And I wanted to talk a little bit about why that is. And I think a big reason is why low rates were so good for the banks in 2009, 2010, is because they were taking big losses on their portfolios here. And low rates allowed people to refinance and keep making payments on those obligations so that helps the banks in the short run, but now we've gotten to the point well, where... Well, it's, it's also, don't forget that, that back then, the, the, longer, the longer duration assets that they held... Were still on sti- the books, yeah. Yeah, still had, still had higher rates, and so you suddenly lower the, the short-term rates, and they're financing higher-yielding uh, higher assets on lower-cost uh, uh, funding. Right, so, so it was that, plus people were able to make payments. Right. I mean, if people couldn't refinance, that wouldn't be good. Stemmed losses. Now everyone's basically basically refinance now. Losses have cooled. Loan loss provisions are very low now. And now the securities are rolling off, uh, the long-dated ones. And a lot of most commercial loans are tied to floating interest rates. So as interest rates go up in the short term, that's actually a benefit to banks. So this, it really is good news if short-term rates rise moderately for the banks as well. We don't want to see a crazy sharp uh, jump in rates here. Right. The, the one concern, and we've talked, this gets a little bit wonky, but we've talked about this before, is that on the balance sheet, as rates start to go up, banks can see losses on assets held on the balance sheet because the way the bond market moves, yields go up or, or uh, interest rates go up, prices come down. Uh, the question there then is how those banks are managing the duration on their books, shorter duration uh, paper will roll off sooner. They won't experience quite as large losses on that. To the extent that they're holding longer duration uh, uh, assets, they could see higher losses as rates go up. Final point on what I, what I missed, or, or you might say what I didn't miss. What I didn't miss was really much at all happening overall in the market. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, you think, we're here every day. We're here every day. I'm well, here every day. You're, you're here every day. And the market's up a little bit down a little bit, and then I go away for a week and a half, and I come back, and it's barely changed. It was, as of yesterday, uh, it was down less than 1% since I got back. So is this just, is this confirmation that investors really can 
just go away from the market, go do other things, play golf. Yeah. Do you feel do some cooking? Did you feel good? Did you even think about it? No. No. Yeah. Well, and and part of that is, and we we talk about this a lot on the show, is that you buy companies, you buy shares in companies that you want to own for five years, that you want to own for ten years, uh, that you believe in the way those companies are being run. So then you you go away for a while, or if the market shuts down for a while, or, or whatever happens, you don't worry about it because you are invested in a company that you believe in. And some people might be wondering, well, these guys are saying don't look at daily movements, but then they're doing... A daily show here talking about companies. It's just because I like to I'll, talk. Uh, that too. You definitely like to talk. <laughs> but we're talking about finding businesses here and talking about businesses and stocks that may be attractive today, stocks that may be not so attractive today. We're not looking at... I mean, I did. I had no idea the stock market was even down a percent while you were gone. I had no idea. I almost pay, a percent. Almost a percent. I pay no attention to kind of what the broader market is doing. We're really trying to focus on individual stocks here. What's the market doing right now? I have no idea. Is it open today? <laughs> Took the day off. I think, went to Costa Rica. Yeah, went to... Followed. Oh, so nice. All right. Going on to the mailbag. We have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. Uh, the, however, the mailbag for today comes from our Ask a Fool series. This, comes, this is a question that was post, posted to our Facebook page, the Molly Fool Facebook page. And it comes from Dave Shelton. And Dave asks, what is your take on non-agency mortgage-backed securities. So, David, we talk a lot about the mortgage REITs. These are uh, REITs, real estate investment trusts, that instead of owning actual property, own the paper, own the mortgages. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about uh, Annaly Capital and American Capital Agency, both of whom trade primarily in agency-backed mortgage-backed securities, which means that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac stand behind those securities and will recoup uh, we'll, we'll pay out for losses. So they, they know those interest payments are always coming in. They don't have to right, worry about it. Right, But non-agency mortgage-backed securities, these are securities that if they default, if they go bad, the investor is out of luck. Mm-hmm. The, there, are, there are mortgage REITs that, that own these as well. There's uh, Camara, which is a, a sister company to Annaly. There's Two Harbors, which we've talked a lot about on this show, which does a lot of different things, including owning some non-agency securities. What is your take on the non-agency landscape right now? Uh, if you would have asked anyone four years ago, that is that stay away from that. You, right. No one wants to touch that. Uh, so some people might say it's riskier than the agency, uh, agency market, but I, I don't think so. I think as long as you're getting compensated for the risk that you're taking and as long as you have the, the expertise to know what you're buying, like a Two Harbors, I mean, 25% of their portfolio is in non-agency mortgage-backed securities. So they know what to look for. Mm-hmm. They know the characteristics they need to be successful in that. So I, I don't dislike it. If I see that on uh, the books of a bank, it, it may raise a red flag a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you dive into it and they're comfortable with what they're buying, then it's not a bad thing. Right. And, and I, th- I think it's, t- to me, it's a similar question of what are your thoughts on subprime mortgages yeah. right now? And subprime, it became a four-letter word during the financial downturn, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. Everything can hold risk. So holding a treasury security can be risky if the, if the market moves drastically, right? Because you have, you're, you're getting very little return on, on what you're investing in. So if there's a rise in inflation, which, which hurts your real returns, or if you're, if you're holding based on price 
and you've got a rise in interest rates, that'll, that'll hurt the price of the security that you're holding. So you can have something that's very safe and still be risky. Yep. And on the other hand, you could have something that a lot of people assume is risky, but if the price is right, if you're, like you said, if you're getting compensated for that risk, mm-hmm. you're in good shape. In 2010, I mentioned no one would have touched this. That's probably the time that you wanted to start thinking about buying Mm-hmm. non-agency because the price was probably knocked down to the point where everybody thought no one's going to be paying their mortgages. All these non-agency MBS are going to default. That didn't necessarily happen. It happened to some, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was probably the time where you wanted to be looking. Today, maybe still attractive. I don't know. I'm not an expert in the non-agency market. But we're further on the credit upswing now than we were. So to, Dave, to Dave's question, you're not necessarily uh, scared of the non-agency market right now, but it's not necessarily the best, it's not the ideal time. I don't know, maybe. Okay. I, think you ju- I think you just look at it as, as any other asset class, whether it be stocks, mm-hmm. uh, corporate bonds, they all have a risk profile. So you have to ask yourself, am I being compensated for that? You're not buying straight up non-agencies for your portfolio. I'm not, but I don't have the expertise to. <laughs> All right. We've got a game for today. That game is Rank It. We're going to play a little Rank It since I haven't been here for a while. My favorite game. And this one actually comes to us by way of my brother who recommended that we do a Rank It based on the Berkshire Hathaway subsidiaries that we would most like to see spun off. Ooh. So Berkshire Hathaway, of course, big conglomerate that uh, is run by Warren Buffett. Most I've heard of it. You've heard of it a couple yeah. times. Owns a lot of different businesses. So what five businesses would you like to see, would you like to own individually from the Berkshire Hathaway group? Number one, Geico. And I've got my rankings here. You don't have a cool graphic like me, but I, I, do. I, I, don't. I don't. I'm going Geico, Heinz, Lubrizol, Seize <laughs> Candies, and Flight Safety as my number five there. Number two is Heinz. That's, yes. why, why is that? Why not? Why not? Good, good product selection there. Great competitive moat okay. all over the world. From what we've heard, uh, the operators, uh, so we should say that they have a 50% stake in Heinz there. The operators, 3G, have been great already from what people say. Okay. Already slashing costs out of the Heinz structure there. So that's a business that I definitely would be interested in. Okay. So I, like you said, I don't, I don't have a cool graphic. I, I think the assumption here has to be, well, let me just go for it. Berkshire Hathaway Reinsurance, far and away my number one. Ajit Jain is the, uh, he's actually the president of the Berkshire Hathaway Insurance Group, which I, I think basically covers all of the insurance services. But I'm assuming that if I get Berkshire Hathaway Reinsurance, I get Ajit. Okay. And that is, I mean, if you're thinking about Berkshire Hathaway and you want one person from there, it's maybe Buffett. If it's not Buffett, it's probably Munger. Mm-hmm. But if it's not Buffett or Munger, it's Ajit. And I'm getting Ajit with Berkshire Hathaway Re. Number two is Geico. Great business. You already mentioned that one. Uh, Burlington Northern Santa Fe. I like choo-choo trains. Uh, I'm an owner of some choo-choo train stock. Uh, but Burlington Northern Santa Fe, very good choo-choo stock. I would like to own that individually. Interesting. I'd be interested in that. Uh, Brooks, the running shoe company. Uh, I'm a runner. I understand the business. I understand what Brooks is doing. I think they're a very well-run business. Uh, I have a lot of respect for how they've gotten out to the mass market in, in the, the running business. Finally, I had one down here. I'm striking it. The final business that I'm getting is Berkshire Hathaway Asset Management. That is the stock portfolio oh, of Berkshire Hathaway run by Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. You're buying the asset that is, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's a good one. That is, that is what I'm taking, Berkshire Hathaway Asset Management. Cool. All right. 
Finishing off today, as we always do on the Twitter sphere, David, what is the first tweet? What is the first tweet? It's from Darren Ravelli. says, Starbucks announces it plans to serve beer and wine after 4 p.m. at thousands of its stores in the coming years. What's I'm, up? I'm a big coffee drinker. Don't, don't drink the alcohol. So I can kick back some espresso while you enjoy Are you your, gonna white be mad? Wine, your chilled white wine. Are you going to be mad when all these college kids are in your Starbucks? Drinking playing, their chilled white playing wine. Playing beer pong. <laughs> playing beer pong next to you while you're trying to read a 10K. Um, yeah, I, I don't spend too much time hanging out in Starbucks. That was that was you're not cool I was then. <laughs> I guess I'm you're not. not working on your novel? Could have sworn you were. I, I don't, it, it does, I, I don't know. I, I mean, good, good for Starbucks if it thinks that this is going to work out. It, it just seems like it would be a weird atmosphere. Very weird. Number two tweet. We've got some Wall Street Journal. Bitcoin exchange Mountain Gox says it has found nearly a quarter of the Bitcoins it previously said were lost. This is 200,000 Bitcoins. Mm. Is it time for all of us to just be checking through our sofa cushions, see if there's some... I was, you're picturing sofa? I was picturing a guy on like the beach with the metal detector <laughs> finding the Bitcoin. That's what I thought. Finding the Bitcoin. The, bi- the, yeah. the 200,000 Bitcoin. The lost Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, is this is this Mount Gox situation just a complete joke? To be honest, I've I've lost interest in it a little bit. It was the Bitcoin community is very interesting and very entrepreneurial, but it, there's so much turmoil in it right now, and there's a lot of finger pointing in terms of who's to blame, who's really at fault here, what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I've kind of just said I've had enough for now. Moving on. Yes. All right. Final tweet. Final tweet. Also from Darren Ravel, give him a lot of it's, love. It's a big Darren Ravel day today. It's a sports day. He says Barack Obama goes fourteen and two in his bracket on day one. Only missed Dayton in Texas. Better than ninety-eight percent of ESPN brackets. How does Obama always do this? I feel like every year he's in the top one percent. He's catering to the one percent. <laughs> he's catering to the one percent. He's changed. Well, uh, I mean, that's great. Now he's just got to figure out this Russia situation. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious if he has like Nate Silver do his bracket for him behind the scenes. Do you, do you think he would really cheat at that? I don't know how he does it every year. Imagine no what way. A, imagine what a scandal that would be. That would if be. Barack Obama cheat. I mean that that really that would Impeachment. legitimately be front page news. Oh, you also missed something that he did. Were you here for the? He did a between two ferns with Zach Galifianakis. Obama? Yeah. Seriously? You've missed so much. I told you, you missed everything. Wow. The world really has changed. I'll send it to you. I will definitely have to do that. But by the way, there was there was one tweet that we didn't get in here, which I thought was was pretty interesting. Um, it was it, there's a hashtag today, first tweet, mm. and uh, I saw a couple of people post reposting their first tweets. I went back. I tried to get all the way back to my first tweet. Apparently, Twitter wouldn't let me. You got to download like an app or something. I'm not doing that. That's crazy. I was able to get back to my first tweet, or the first tweet that. Uh, Twitter would let me go back to in 2012. Mm-hmm. It was me retweeting a men's humor thing that said, I like my politicians like I like my coffee. I don't like coffee. Oh. I actually well, do you like love co- coffee. I do love coffee. But I, I, I can agree with that sentiment. All righty. All right. Well, that's the show for today. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. You can find us on iTunes. That's the podcast form if you want to listen to us while you work out, while you commute. And while you're at it, go ahead and give us a rating because you love us. That's all, that's all we got for today. We'll see you next week. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.